Okay. So, I thought that, the, first of all, great to see everybody before Pesach. I appreciate everyone taking the time. We're not going to meet next week. This is going to be, this is our final, our last, well, not, that's it, till after Pesach. This is it till after Pesach. Okay. So, what we'll do, I have one. What um, I want to do is like this. I want to talk to you about, it's actually a, a kind of interesting halachic question, which really presents itself slowly into a more interesting question about um, an approach from one of my Rebbeim about, about the Dalakosos that I really like. Um, I haven't talked about it in a long time, but I really like it a lot. Um, and, and so let's just get started. Because we, right, the Dalakosos, the Four Cups, it's like probably one of the most well-known, you don't have to know much about Pesach to know about Four Cups. Um, and there's some a controversy, though, actually in the Gemara about how one should drink those Four Cups. Right? Should a person be leaning, not leaning? Who cares if you lean? Um, and why does it matter? And it actually gets into an interesting halakhic question. Uh, well, let's just go there, and then well, I'll, I'll stop introducing it, and let's just learn. So take a look at source number one. The Gemara in source number one is Gemara B'Sachim. The Gemara B'Sachim says like this. It mar matzah When you eat matzah, you're supposed to lean. Maror ain't tzarech When you eat maror, you're not supposed to lean. Okay, fine. Makes sense, right? If, if leaning, I'm not going to talk that much about leaning, but leaning is supposed to be derech right? It shows that I am a free person. I'm, I, I, people who are free are able to lean. So that is, and, and again, haseba was like the normal way in those days for people to eat. They would lay on couches and like it was like a normal way that, that regular people would sit. They didn't sit at tables in the same way. So fine, to so eat matzah, which is supposed to be representative of cheris, you're supposed to lean. You eat maro, which is clearly only representative of avdos, of servitude, so you're not going to you're not going to lean. Fine. Yayin, but what about when you drink the wine? So itmar mishmed rav nachman sarech haseba. They said the name of nachman that you have to lean. Veitmar mishmed rav nachman. And some say in the name of nachman, same person. Okay, so bachlogs what rav nachman said. Some said that he said you have to lean, and some said that he said ain't sarech haseba. You don't have to lean. Okay. And says the Gemara, it's not a machlokas. Velopligi. Ha betarse kase kamai. Ha betarse kase basrai. One of them is talking about the first two cups, and one is talking about the last two cups. Meaning, the opinion that holds, the opinion that holds he, that you will have to see, right? You, one or the other, right? Either I don't have to lean on the first two, or I don't have to lean during the last two. So, I'm a little hagisa, I'm a little hagisa, and some say it. Depend, which one is which? We don't know. So But some said that the first two I have to lean. The ha- and why would I say you have to lean? Well, I'll ask you before we read the Gemara. Why would it make a distinction between the first two cups and the last two cups? Or whether a person should have to lean or not? What would be any reason to make such a distinction? Two is like, like the first two are, let's say, to you're still slaves. Okay, and the last two. Good, right. So you maybe argue that if the first two are more. We're going may abdus lechayros. So maybe the first two, I'm not. I'm still a slave. That's exactly what the Gemara says. Right? So the Gemara says, "Trekase kamai bo hasei b'dahash tuhu dekam mischala lechayros." Some say you have to lean because I'm now starting to be free. Okay, so it's the opposite of what you said before, but right, but but we, we, this part, we, we're starting to become free already. The first two I have to lean because I'm becoming free. The last two already, it's already finished. If you notice, by the way, anyways, and this actually this approach, we're going to see the opposite in a second though. But this approach fits the concept that the the seder really moves past, present, future. 
Right? The Seder is very much moving in that direction, right? The entire first half of the Seder is all about what happened in Mitzrayim, how we got out. In fact, we split the Halal in half. And the first two paragraphs of Halal are about B'tseh Yisrael and Mitzrayim, right? They're, just, they're about what happened before. We then eat the meal, and then starting with Tzofum Bari Halal Nirzah, we're moving to the future, right? The Halal, the second half of Halal is all about what's going to happen in the future, right? Nirzah is all about Mashiach, right? That's, what, that's really how we're moving anyway. So in this argument, the answer is, in the first two cups, I have to lean why? Because I already was saved, right? I was like saved in the first two, I'm already being saved. By the second already, by the hava hava, it happened already. It's done. That was that's the past already, right? And some just the opposite. the opposite. In this last two, I need to lean. Why? That's the moment of chayrus, like Hannah said, right? By the second two, now I'm free. But I wasn't free yet. With the first two, I don't have to. I don't have to lean because I'm still a slave. Right? So if I'm going past, present, future, so in the first two, that's not a time for leaning. That's a time for, for being, being a, a slave. I don't, I'm not going to lean. Then I'll, I'll lean at the end. Okay. Pop quiz. Which, which of the four cups do we lean for? All of them. Why? Because the Gemara says, It's fine. So just do both. Do, do both. And what's the big deal? Right? We can do both. Uh, sorry, all four. And we follow both opinions. There's no problem because there's no, it, there's no problem to lean. He's not going to lose anything by leaning. So you might as well, might as well just lean. Fine. Um, and that, look at the Rashbam in source number two. We see we have to get the Rashbam anyways, even if we're learning the Megillah, the, 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 learning the, the Haggadah. The Rashbam happens to be on, on in Masechus Pesach, and the Rashbam happens to take over at one point. You know, he, he's, he's the main, uh, the main, um, commentary. So the Rashbam writes, "He shed the mishtai becheres." Why should you have the first two? I'm starting the cheres then. Begula shu omer hagada. That's the gula I'm saying right now. Hasha shavini mina de arba kosos sarachaseba mara and sarachan. Fine, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, and what's the other approach? Source number three. My the hava hava. I should only sit with the first two. Lean by the first two. The second two I don't need anymore. Because why says tosos shikfar amru geula lifnehasuda. I already I've already freed already, so I don't need to, to lean the second two. Fine. But here's a fascinating concept. We have a, a, a Dalakosos. That's anywhere in the Torah? Four cups? Of, four cups? Requirement between four cups of the Seder? No. Mm-hmm. no this, is a, this is a purely rabbinic concept. Okay? So we're presented at this moment, right, in the Gemara with some of them are not sure. Right? Do I lean for the first two cups? Or do I lean for the second two cups? Right? We have a rule in general, suffix daraisaf. I'm not sure what to do when it comes to a, a Torah concept. What do I do? So there's no chumra. I gotta do. I gotta do both because I'm nervous. I'm gonna mess up a daraisa. But if I'm not sure about a darabanan, suffix darabanan, what's the rule? Lekula, kmilinya, right? So each time you could argue. So I don't know. Should I lean for the first two cups or lean for the last two cups? Well, which is the leniency? The sit up or the lean? You know, like, <laughs> no, because no. The leniency, good. It's a good, it's a good question. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, so, not, but like, I know it's more you easy. No pun intended. But yes, except, except the question would be like this. In theory, and not just in theory, if a person would do, in mitzvahs that you have to lean for and you don't do so, right, in theory, a person should have to do, the, leaning, um, is never, it's a fascinating concept actually in, 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 the, in the Seder. Leaning is not itself a mitzvah per se, but it's a part and parcel of a number of them, right? To the extent that if a person does certain things, oh, so 
The Rav Yoh, the Rav Yoh says that women don't have to. Fine, but 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 the but it's part and parcel of the mitzvahs to the extent that if a person would, let's say, is absolutely required to lean, let's say, for a cup, and didn't lean, then what do they have to do? They'll go back and drink again, right? In theory. What? To get a lot of cups of wine. Yeah, exactly. Okay? So it's not, so, so the chumrah, so the chumrah would be to say that I have to lean to the extent that if I didn't, I got to do it again. That's the chumrah, right? So the chumrah is the, the requirement to lean is the chumrah. All right? The cooler would be to say, you don't have to, and to the extent that if I didn't do it, it's fine. Leave it alone. Right? So the Ram presents the question, I don't get it. This is a suffix derabanan. Right, so suffer the bonus, suffer the bonus, lakula, and tell everybody, you don't have to. What should you say? Don't lean. I don't know the first two or the second two, so do what? Maybe lean for none of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Why is why is the conclusion of the Gemara, lachumra? Yeah. No, no, because it's not a suffix of should we lean or should we not lean. Both of them agree that there must be leaning. Okay. So mm. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be correct to say let's be lenient and not lean for anything that disagrees with both sides. Right. Both sides are saying you must leave okay. for, for something. So, but, but I could say it each time. For each cup, I could say, I have two opinions. Do I have to or not have to? Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm going to end up each, if you look at each one separately, no, but you're right. Because you're getting at something else, Lana, which is interesting, which is what the Ron's going to say in a second. So check out what the Ron said. Such an interesting thing. So he said, the Gemara said, So now we just require for all of them. And he says, Even though, in general, Kaimalan Ipcha. We usually say the opposite. The Kosveka Drabanan Lakula. Right? Usually in the Savi Drabanan, we go we, to, to be lenient. Hacha, but here, Kaven, the Lav Milsa, the Tirachahi, since it's not such a big deal, right? Lean or don't lean. Avdidin Laravcha, the Milsa. Right? So he says, I'll tell you, one answer is, it's not such a big deal. You're right. Really fundamentally, Savi Drabanan Lakula, you shouldn't have to do it at all. How, how hard is it to do this? What, what, what is leaning not? Just by the way, leaning is not this. <laughs> that's not leaning. That's not, that, that's very uncomfortable, right? Leaning is like leaning on something, right? You should lean on something. It's like how my kids sit at dinner when I yell at them. Yes, correct. Yeah. So at the Seder, you shouldn't yeah. yell at them. Like right, so like that. But, but if you were to this, they're like, like oh, that's yeah. not comfortable. That's not. Right, fine. But okay, fine. So, uh, so, so answer number one is, what's the big deal? It's so easy. Right? It's, such an easy it's such an easy thing to do. You should just do it. Vilinyere says, but I have a different answer. He says, You have to do a seba, bakula. You have to do all of them. Why? If you're going to be lenient, what's going to happen? How do you choose which ones to be lenient on? Like, like, well, someone's right here, right? If I'm going to be lenient on both, you're going to lose the whole thing. Right? Something your vadalakula doesn't tell me. It's actually a fascinating construct. Like something your vadalakula works if you say, okay, in this case, I don't have to do it. But if it's going it's to uproot the entire construct, the entire mitzvah is going to go away. You'll have no haseba, at least by the at least by the, by the cups. So then you don't say something your vadalakula. But I agree with Dina. Why? Like, why is this whole argument? If you're just not sure, then just lean for all of them. It's an easy thing to do. Like, and that's the answer. That's the first answer. That's, right. that's the first I answer. I don't understand why you just wouldn't though. Because like, I don't have to. <laughs> if I don't have to, I don't have to. No, no, because we don't, because we don't, cause we could do, we could do that a lot, right? Just, just be machmir is actually a dangerous road to, to head down. You don't just say, what's the big deal? Just, right? There's a lot of justs that could, that you could take in a lot of directions if we, if we just say, well, it's not such a big deal, 
right? So his point is, this is pretty much, you know, really not such a big deal. Leading is, you know, pretty easy to do. But, but, but his point is that there's even more to it than that. It's so much more fundamental here in this case. It's, it's kind of a side point, but it's, it's interesting yeah. that, uh, that, that typically we would, we would say a Savi Joe and Likula. Here we can't. Here we can't. Um, which, by the way, would come out with the practical ramifications in the sense that, again, it depends on your answer. If, what if you, so what if, what, again, what if a person forgets to lean? Right, one of the four cups. If you say, we really say Savi Joe and Likula, right, and it's really, you don't have to. We just do it because it's, it's easy. So if a person forgot, what would you say? Whatever. Okay. It doesn't matter. You didn't really have to. You were just doing it because it was easy. You forgot. Okay, so you forgot. But if you say no, like the run, that no, I, I can't say sorry to Ben Lakul in this case, and you have to, so then you would argue maybe you would have to repeat. So, uh, but, but like you said, Lamaya said we don't assume uh, that a person has, if you forgot to lean, you have to go back and drink another cup of wine. You, know, you don't have to. Okay. But, but the real question I want to talk about you know, for, the, for the next little while is, what's this Mahalogos really about? First half, first two cups, second two cups? Like, wh- Why? What's the big deal? Right? No, it's, we're already free. We're not free yet. We were freed already. Like, what is this? What's really going on here? Okay? And I, and I think, perhaps, we can argue that it relates to a machlokas about the reason why we have four cups in the first place. Because we always know, we always talk about one reason. There's really other reasons also. Let's take a look at source number six. It's the Gemara in Yushami. Yushami says, How do I know? that a person should drink four cups of wine at the Seder. Where does it come from? Yochanan Rishem Rabbanaya, he says, Keneged Arba Geulos, right? This is the language because of the four redemptions, the Gemara, the, the Bavli uses the language of Arba Lashonos Shal Geula, right? the four different languages of Geula. And what are those four languages? Take a look at source number seven. It has, I have to use the, the actual Pesuk in there, right? Lachein Amorli Bnei Yisrael and Parshas Va'era. Ani Hashem Votsesi Eschem Mitachas Yisrael. I'm trying to take you out from the the suffering of Mitzrayim, and I'll save you from there, from the from the servitude. And I will redeem you with an astrachen, which with wonderful, with big signs and wonders. And then I'll take you to be my nation. Fine. So the the those four, right? Your like first graders come home with like right the four cups, which one with the name with a with a word on it. That is the typical explanation for why we have four cups at the Seder. Yes? Good. Go back into source number six. There's another reason. So another reason actually more than one other reason, but I want to focus on another reason. Okay? Uh, right in the middle of the second line. Rubi Shu Levi Amar, Arba Koso Shopara. It's talking about the four cups of paro. What does that mean, the four cups of paro? So it means, source, look, take a look at source number eight. Source number eight has a story that you are familiar with, right, probably. The story of Yosef in, the, in jail. The Saramashkin and Sarofim, right? And the Saramashkin and Sarofim are, are sad. They had bad dreams. And he says to them, what's going on with you? Tell them what happened. And the Saramashkin tells Yosef his dream, right? And take a look at, at uh, Pasuk Yud. Right, and he says, I'm, I t- "He said I had a dream, and I'm sitting in front of the in front of Paro, and I have these three vines." These very luscious, you know, vines of grapes. Vikos Paro biadi, and I have Paro's cup in my hand, and I take the anavim beschadutam el kos Paro. I squeeze them into Paro's cup. Vitain es hakos al kaf Paro, and I give the kos to Paro. 
by Yomelo Yosef, and Yosef says, wow, here's the explanation, these three vines are really three days, right, you're going to take that cup and put it, give it back to okay, four times in the story of the Saramashkim, where Paro refers, where the, either the Saramashkim or, pa, or Yosef refer to the Kos Paro, four times Kos Paro, four times four cups at the Seder, Like that? Does it make any sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Weird, right? Sound. We like this. We don't like this. It's fun, right? It's definitely different. Okay. Yeah. But like, why? Why? What's the connection? What's the connection? I mean, what? A little connection. How can we start a connection? So Paro, we're in Egypt. Okay, we're in Egypt. The story starts with Yosef. It's not even supposed to be the same power. It's not, it's not the same power. Right? It's not wow. the same power. Right? Oh, oh, he's saying who ends up, yeah, okay, whether it is or it isn't the could to, It's a totally different story. That Yosef's story is gracious before we even get the Shemos. Yeah. Right? It is a precursor. Mm-hmm. Right? But it also, the word coast Paro four times, it's kind of like, okay. Right? Um, but it, what does stand out, I think, if you're reading the Psukim is, you don't need the word that many times. You don't need the phrase that many times. Right? It, it is striking. How many times within two psukim? Yeah, basically two or three psukim. You have the word kos paro, you know, four times, which is not really necessary. You could have, you know, fine. So what is this all about? Where is this idea of the kos paro? What is the, 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 the four kosos of paro? What does that have to do with the Seder? So take a look. question is anybody, when this story happens, any of them before have addressed the fact that it's mentioned four times? I don't think anybody... Oh, is anyone? Uh, I don't. Any, I don't know. On the text there, it. I'm saying there was nobody ever talked about we it. We haven't learned it together. I don't. I'm, it could be there. I'm just curious. Yeah. Nobody. Mentioned I'm no. It could be. I don't know. I, I have, oh. to, have to look on the, in the in the chumash. I'm not sure. Oh, I'm not I'm sure. Um, it could be. Could be the reference this 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 Yerushalmi. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. They said, "Oh yeah, that's yeah. this Yerushalmi says." You know, this idea. So I, yeah, but I, I don't know. Okay. But take a look at this this Haggadah from Shimon Ben Zima Duran. Okay, source number nine. Who says the following? I don't know where I saw. It. I I don't usually learn this uh, this this Haggadah of Shimon Ben Zima Duran. I saw. It. I must have seen it quoted by somebody. Maybe I saw Rishat quoted. Rishat like to talk about this, so maybe he quoted this. So he says like this. Um, so he says like this. Right. We we start with Manishtana, and then we answer with Avadim Hayinu. Right. Okay. So the tshuva uh, to the answer to the question of Manishtana is Avadim Hayinu the power of Mitzrayim. And Chazal says to posech begnus. You have to. We have a concept posech begnus begnus and mesayim mishvach. You start with negative, negative. You know the negative things, and you end with the positives. Okay, and it's a big discussion. What does that mean? The goodness of something bad that we did, something something bad that's happening to us. But you start with the negative, and you move to the positive. And what is the negative? Vagnus who masha amru bemedrish is that which is quoted in the medrash, which says atem mechartem Yosef leever. The Gnus is you sold Yosef to be a slave, and therefore, every year you're going to read Avadim Hinu Lepar Mitzrayim. Okay? Just like Yosef had his own Geula, that Yosef goes from the pit 
and he ends up as the second in command in Egypt. It's the same too. We are. We will eventually. Gamanachnu. You know, we went to Cheres. We went to Cheres, just like Yosef did. V'chein yaseh lemosa Mashiach, and the same thing is going to happen to us eventually, also. Okay. So according to this explanation, what is the connection between the four cups or the seder and Yosef? Sort of two of them. Redemption. So one is the Geula connection, right? That Yosef is redeemed to a certain extent, has a personal redemption, and so to Amisol has a redemption. And what else? Ah, so like, right, 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 there's like some type of like negativity, right, that the Masra Bugnus and Messiah Meshach, the negativity doesn't just start with the fact that we were slaves, it goes to what put us into slavery in the first place, right? Uh, there's a, a Rabbeinu Manoach, Rabbeinu Manoach writes that the reason we dip Karpas, that the word Karpas is the word Ketona Pasim, it stands for Ketona Pasim, right? So just like we dipped Yosef's coat in blood, so, so too we take the karpas and we dip it in, in the salt water, right? That like the beginning of the process of getting to Mitzrayim. Don't think of something that just happened to us. It starts with the process of, selling, of the selling of Yosef, which actually fits very nicely with this idea that the, again, the four cups even start us off in the negative, you know, uh, of recognizing what happened with, with the story of Yosef. Fine. Um, so there's, there's really, so there's really a kind of two pieces. One is that why we start this way and we start in this place uh, because of what we did to Yosef. But also how we get out of it, right, is symbolized by the, the ge'ula of Yosef. And, uh, and Rabbi Shachter once said such an interesting idea. And he said that really, if you think about it, and like we said, the, the story of Mitzrayim, right, sorry, the, the, the story of uh, the Seder, like I said, is a past, present, and future. Right? So we're recognizing the ge'ula of the past, but very much having in mind the ge'ula that we're looking for in the future, right? And the Seder, L'shana Bab Yerushalayim Habaniyah. The Rebbe points out that we, we say L'shana Bab Yerushalayim two times a year as part of the liturgy, right? We say it on Yom Kippur and we say it at the Seder. Why those two times? Because those are the two days or nights of the, week, of the year where we miss the Beis Hamidrash the most, right? That the, on Yom Kippur, you don't have the Avod in the Beis Hamidrash. So it's like you so feel at the lack of Beis HaMikdash, and at the Seder, the whole conversation about the Korban Pesach, which you can't do. Right? The Seder was the, was the meal of eating the Korban Pesach. But the point is that we're looking towards the Geula, we're not just looking back towards the Geula, to the Geula Smitzrayim, but we're looking forward towards the Geula Lasulavo. And what's fascinating, he's pointed out, is that really the Geula Lasulavo is not really like the Geula of Mitzrayim. The Geula of Mitzrayim is a very quick, easy Hashem takes, take, it took them a long time to get there. But once it started, you know, it was a matter of months. It's a number of, matter of, yeah, it was a lot of hard work, but eventually it becomes, um, it's only 210 years, first of all, in, in Mitzrayim. And then, and once it's compared to, compared to, it's, 10, it's 10% of what we'd experienced until now, right? Um, so the, it, it's very quick, it's miraculous, it's Yad Hashem, so obvious, right? very different than the Geula that we're experiencing, which is much more up and down have Geula, which is more similar to the Geula of Yosef. Mm-hmm. Right? Yosef is like, 
he's the most handsome and he's the leader and he has the dreams and everything's great. And then he sold to Mitzrayim, he's thrown in the pit, right? He's in the pit, sold to Mitzrayim. And then he's doing great in Potiphar's house, right? And it's Kishmach and great, and he's doing great. And then again, he gets, he gets uh, you know, again, thrown in, thrown in jail, no good. Comes back up. Right? Yosef's life is like a very tumultuous, I mean, it's, I guess it's like most people's lives. But it's, it's very tumultuous, a lot that goes on in his life. And it's not this quick gula. It's this very long process. It takes him 20, 30 years till he finally, right, becomes who he becomes. And even then, it's not all done. We've talked about it a lot with his brothers, you know. And that, in that sense, the geula that we look towards, right, if the hotseti v'itzati v'ka'ati v'lakachti, right, looks at the geula of the past, right, what's the geula of the future? The geula of the future is the geula not of Mitzrayim. The geula of the future is the geula of Yosef, right, a much harder road which is going to take a lot, takes a lot more time and a lot more up and down. A lot more moments where we feel like we've made it and then it, and it drops again. And just to add to the up and down, also has the Atzimot Yosef. So when Yosef dies, he's not happy. He's dying in Mitzrayim. He really wants to be in Israel. So like it takes another, whatever. Four years. Yeah, yeah. from the get oh, oh yeah, even more than that. Yeah, 210 so years, Moshe, right. Yeah, yeah, yes, until, until Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, as Am Yisrael leave Mitzrayim, what, what happens? It's actually the last source in the sheet. What happens? Moshe Rabbeinu waits to take Yosef's bones with him. Yeah. Right? So the, you, have the, you have like the merging of the two geulos at the same time. Um, so my brother made the following ha'ara. I thought it was so interesting. He said, maybe that's... And, and, and I would say this also. The geulo of Mitzrayim is very much goal-oriented. Free. Freedom. More freedom. Right? It's goal-oriented to freedom. Again, freedom for what purpose? But it's... It's focused on the on, on the on the geula itself. You might argue that the geula of lasi lavo, right? The, like the, the eventual geula process, you know, that's going to get us to eventually Mashiach is much more process oriented, right? We want to get there, but it's much more a question of how we're going to get there and what do we do to get there and how we're going to ask any kid who goes to Chabad preschool, mm-hmm. like how they're going to make the build, build the bricks to Mashiach, but, but it's true, right? That it's much more focused on like what we're doing to, to make that process happen than it is about just like sitting and waiting for, for it to come. Right? And certainly if you're a Zionist, religious Zionist, right? Well, how we make, make Gula happen, right? But so my, so my brother, he said maybe that's the Machalogos in the Gemara. Right? Those who are focusing on the first two, right? If you're focusing on the first two, what, 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 are, you, what are you arguing? So you're arguing, it's about it's about the process, right? It's about the process. We're still on our way, right? If you're focusing on the last two, you say, no, it's that we reached the, we, we got there. We, did we get there? We didn't get there, right? Um, and, and maybe that's part of the, you know, machlokas and the Gemara is where are we, where are we emphasizing? Um, I once Ramir Goldberg pointed out also that you find this distinction in terms of the process of Geula actually in the story itself. And the reason why, because why does Yosef respond to um, the Saramashkim so positively and this are open so negatively. What does he see that's different? So look, go back to source number eight just for a second. And you see within, you have the two stories there. But if you look in um, the Saramashkim, right? Saramashkim tells a story. And he says, again, go back to, to Pasuk Yud. Uvagefen. So he says, in Pasuk Tess, he says, He tells a story. There's a Gefen in front of me. There's has three, you know, vines. etc. And what happens? And I, and I take the, the 
grapes, and I, and I squeeze them into the cup, and I give it to Paro. Right? So I do all this. These are all the things that I do in the story. Right? Look at the Sara Ophim. In the Sara Ophim, Pasuk Tez Zion, he says, Vayar Sara Ophim Kitopat. He says, oh, that, that looks pretty good. So he says to Yosef, me too. There are three baskets on my head of bread. Right, I have all the wonderful things in my, uh, in my basket. And the bird comes and eats it from my head. So Yosef says to the Saramashkim, you're going to be freed. Sarofim, you're going to die. What's the difference? So Go said, he said, look at the Saramashkim. Saramashkim is, I grabbed it and I took it and I squeezed it and I put it and I handed it. Right, I'm, I'm moving along. Right? I'm, I'm, he's active. The Saramashkim is like, and I was sitting there, look what happened to me. <laughs> and so Yosef, in a certain symbolic way, says, Sarah Mashkim, you're moving yourself along towards your own personal geula. Right? Sarah Ophim, you're kind of just hanging out, waiting for something to happen to you. Right? Which is very good. That's a, a word that Rav Goch would say, if you know Rav Goch, who is always running and going. And, and right? It's, a, it's, the perfect, it's the perfect point. Um, but in terms of this point of the process, so this is where this, this I've quoted this, uh, this uh, article before. But it's an amazing, amazing article. And I did not know that Rabbi Bershevkin just, uh, just uh, um, had an inter- took an, you know, interviewed Bruce Feiler. But he tells this amazing, it's a much longer article, I just took a little piece of it. But he basically talks about this concept um, that they did studies on children and to figure out how resilient they would be and what were the things that would help figure out, how, what, could, what were the best predictors of resilience in children? And they... And they created this uh, study where they asked children questions about their past, about their families. And they would say, like, do you know, you know, um, where your parents met? Do you know all these different questions about, them, about, their, about their past? Including questions like, do you know negative things that happened to your family? Do you know about, you know, good things that happened? Do you know about t- sad things and then happy things? And basically they found that there were different types of narratives that would go on um, if you speak to these kids. And he said like this, um, after, look what's bolded. Um, after a while, a surprising theme emerged. The single, here I am. The single most important thing you can do for your family may be the simplest of all. Develop a strong family narrative. I first heard this idea from Marshall Duke, a colorful psychologist at Emory University. In the mid-1990s, Dr. Duke was asked to help explore myth and ritual in American uh, families. Around that time, Dr. Duke's wife, Sarah, was a psychologist who works with children with learning disabilities, noticed something about her students. The ones who know a lot about their families and tend to, do, tend to do better when they face challenges. Her husband was intrigued. And along with a colleague, Robin Feibush sent out to test her type hypothesis. They developed a measure called the Do You Know Scale that asked children 20 questions. Examples included, do you know where your grandparents grew up? Do you know where your mom and dad went to high school? Do you know where your parents met? Do you know an illness or something really terrible that happened in your family? Do you know the story of your birth? Dr. Duke and Dr. Feibush asked those questions of four dozen families in the summer of 2001 and taped several of their dinner table conversations. They then compared the children's results to a battery of psychological tests the children had taken, and had reached an overwhelming conclusion. The more children knew about their family's history, the stronger their sense of control over their lives, the higher their self-esteem, and the more successfully they believed their families functioned. The do-you-know scale turned out to be the best single predictor of children's emotional health and happiness. We were blown away, Dr. Duke said, and then something unexpected happened. Two months later was September 11th. As citizens, Dr. Duke and Dr. Fivers were horrified like everyone else, but as psychologists, they knew they had been given a rare opportunity. Though the families they studied had not been directly affected by the events, 
all the children had experienced the same national trauma at the same time. The researchers went back and reassessed the children. Once again, the ones who knew more about their families proved to be more resilient, meaning they could moderate the effects of stress. Why is that? Right? Why does knowing where your grandmother went to school help a child overcome something as minor as a skin knee or as major as a terrorist attack? The answers have to do with the child's sense of being part of a larger family. Psychologists have found that every family has a unifying narrative, he explained, and those narratives take one of three steps. First, the ascending family narrative. Some when we came to this country, we had nothing. Our family worked. We opened a store. Our grandfather went to high school, etc., etc. The second is the descending narrative, right? Sweetheart, we used to have it all, and then we lost everything. The most helpful narrative is the third one. It's called the oscillating family narrative. Dear, let me tell you, we've had ups and downs in our family. We built a family business. Your grandfather was a pillar of the community. Your mother was on the board of the hospital. But we also had setbacks. We had an uncle who was once arrested. We had a house burned down. Your father lost a job. But no matter what happened, we always stuck together as a family. Dr. Duke said that children who have the most self-confidence have what he and Dr. Fivish called a strong intergenerational self. They know they belong to something bigger than themselves. All right, but the point being that children who get to see that everything is not always okay all the time and that things go bad and things get better and then things get worse and things get better, when the bad things happen, they don't catastrophize as much. Yes, so really, you know we're, we're teaching do. our kids all those years. What we're doing is teaching them emotional resilience. Yeah. Yeah, all the terrible, the hard things that happen, and then we get up, and then we try again, and some things are better, and some things are worse, and we're realistic about it, and we know how life really is, and life is not like it is on TV, and really it's, right, TV's like catching up a little bit now, right, like some of the shows, right, right, some some TV shows are picking it up a little bit, like everything shouldn't just be perfect, but like, life is not leave it to beaver, right, so like, but the more that they can see that in their families, so the more, again, Statistically, they'll find the ability to see that, you know, to, have, to have that sense of confidence that we can make it through, which is fascinating because that's really the, that's the Google of Yosef. But it's interesting because you read all these studies also, they say like <clears throat> uh, religious people are healthier and happier and live longer lives, but maybe it's not about the religion, it's about the story. I mean, it's also about the community, it's about, but part of that is. Know, which part of religion? About, like, right. What other people from other cultures. Especially in this country where they're so detached from religion, or at least in the Northeast, we see, you know, people feel very, like, do they, you know, what do you do without that grounding? I'm sure people people without religion have family narratives. This has nothing to do with religion. So that's my question. I wonder how strong just family narratives are with the religious part taken out. Because, like, when we learn about Moshe and Yosef, like, you feel like they're your family. Like, you know, it's so taught as a little kid, as part of your everyday life, that it feels like family stories. Like, I think little kids feel super connected to this. And it's kind of amazing. And I wonder if other cultures feel that way about somebody in their either religious narrative or cultural narrative. Interesting. I don't know. I imagine they do. I don't know. But I think it's also like a net. Na- I think that the difference here is that in that case, like it's a national narrative also. We have a national narrative, which I think is helpful. Like I, every time like a terrorist attack happens or an anti-Semitic thing happens or right, we like kind of like, we kind of pull ourselves back up like we can do this. We've done this before. We know how this works. We know, right? Like there's a certain sense of like, this isn't the first time we've seen this, right? Which I think is helpful for us. But, you know, again, these aren't guarantees, but it's an, I think it's an interesting construct and it totally fits with that character of the Geulos Yosef as well as the Geulos Mitzrayim, right? The Geulos Mitzrayim is Hashem steps in and pulls us through. And that's great. And that's wonderful. And it's amazing. But the Geulos Yosef is a much more arduous, difficult, up and down experience 
which maybe, right, maybe we could argue, the reason why Chazal don't just talk about right, in the, in the Dalakosos, but also brings in the Kosos Shalparo, right, the Kosos of Yosef, is because maybe that's the past, present, future, right? The past is, the, is that approach, and the, and the future is the, maybe the Yosef approach. And it's sort of like a Nechama to us a little bit, like, yeah, but it doesn't look like that right now. And we don't have that. Kids always ask that question. Like, when's Hashem going to just, like, pick us up and take... I don't know, right? That's, like, confusing. Right? That's hard. Um, and the story of Yosef kind of speaks to the heart, you know, a little bit also, which it's I think is interesting. That the theater is the most practiced Jewish ritual, you know, like, more than Yom Kippur. It's like, this is what people... Oh, it's way more fun than Yom Kippur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting, but, but, but what's fascinating though also, by the way, is Yosef also, because Yosef is the, is the Jew in Gullus, right? Yosef, the measure says, right, why did the Jewish people survive through, uh, through Egypt? They didn't change their names, their clothing, etc. They, they kept a Jewish identity. Why, why, how does that fit with Yosef? That's Yosef. Yosef gets a non-Jewish name. Yosef's called Samas Paneach. He's the only person in the Torah, I think I have a sax point that, who gets a new name and he's never identified with that name. Everyone called him that. Everyone in Mitzrayim called him Samas Paneach. I'm sure they, for sure they did. They didn't call him Yosef, right? But the Torah never calls him Yosef. Why? Because he maintains his identity all the way through. Right? Through all those challenges, he maintains himself even through those ups and downs. He stays, he stays true to himself. And that's why it's verse number 12. Not, not surprising, right? Look how much Moshe Rabbeinu loves mitzvot. When it came time to leave Mitzrayim, Am Yishol is getting you know, gold and silver from the Egyptians. And what's Moshe Rabbeinu doing? He's going to get Yosef. Shanemar, right? Um... Chacham Levi Kach Mitzvos. Umi Naya Heredeya Moshe Rabbeinu Heichan Yosef Kavor. How do you know where he was? Amru Serach Bas Asher Nishtaira Meoso Ador Halach Moshe Etzos. So he's the Serach Bas Asher. A whole different conversation about who she was. She, she, she's the one who tells Yaakov that Yosef's still alive, and she's the one who tells Moshe where Yosef is buried. Okay, fine. But the point being that Yosef, that Moshe Rabbeinu realizes, right, as we're going to leave Egypt and we're going to head to the future, who do we have to take with us? You need Yosef. You're going to need Yosef on your way out because it's not going to be so simple. Right, on, on, that, on that pathway, Tarot Yisrael. And, you know, so, so that sense, you have the, the, Dal, the Dalakosos, not just as a commemoration of what was, but maybe as a precursor and a, and a reminder to ourselves of what's going to be. And the way to get there, uh, much more process-oriented maybe than the simple, you know, goal-oriented nature. And maybe, 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 if you want to go, you know, you can, that's the first two cups and the last two cups, right? First two cups of, you know, uh, of what was in the last two cups of what, what will be, it really is, right? The first two cups of the first half of the Seder, the second two cups of the, uh, the second half of the Seder, the future, um, really speak to kind of both of these narratives in the Seder. Thank you. Okay.